You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. All right, y'all ready to start something new? Yes. Okay, here we go. Welcome everybody online to our 11 a.m. service, soon to be 10 o'clock. Yes, in a few weeks. All right. Here we go. Our scripture reading today as we begin this new series is from Hebrews chapter 2. You can follow along as I read. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we're speaking, but there is a place where someone is testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's the reading of God's word today. All his people today said, come on. Amen, amen. Uh, Near the end of the 20th century, when the whole self-esteem project was in full bloom. We remember this, right? When we were told, our kids were told, we were told what you need most to make it in life is healthy self-esteem. Well, around that time, something came along, some research came along, which turned that idea on its head. In a big study done by Florida State University, of all places, mad respect to all the Seminoles in here today. Okay, they found that there, there was actually one quality that was most associated with satisfaction and well-being in life. And that one quality wasn't self-esteem. The single factor they found most responsible for children and adults' successful development was this, whether or not they had a place to belong. Whether or not they had a place to belong and whether or not a specific desire was fulfilled. They called it a desire for interpersonal attachments. In other words, the study was showing us a few things. For example, if you want self-esteem, belong to a family first. 
if you want self-esteem, belong to a family. First, if you want to know who you are, belong to someone else first. And that happiness doesn't begin with an I. Happiness begins with an us. Yeah, and us. Somebody, somebody said you. I mean, if that's the case. Praise the Lord. I'm trying to help you today. All right, but I think it's an us. Yeah. So let's take a stab. Let's take a stab at learning how to do the us better. Uh, let's learn how to practice family better for the next three weeks. We're going to look at marriage and singleness a bit next week, and then your own family after that. But for today, for part one, we're going to begin by leaning in to a specific kind of family, and it's a kind of a family that's hard to create and easy to lose. It's a type of family whose well-being is actually crucial for you and for me and for our world. It's a kind of a family that is for singles and for marrieds, for engaged, divorced, young, old, able, and disabled, and that kind of family is a kind of family called spiritual family. It's called spiritual family, and I know just by saying that real quick, that term can kind of make some folks a little uncomfortable based on what you've been through. Uh, the term can make, a, you know, spiritual family can be painful for some, depending on where you've been. So let me just say this. While it may be tempting because of what you've been through to do away with family, do away with the idea, doing away with it won't shake your need for it nor our longing for it. In the end. So let's take a look at it. And perhaps there is no passage with greater spiritual family language and resources to help us get it right than right here in Hebrews 2. Of course, we're looking at that right now. So here's my question, all that in mind. What does it take to form healthy spiritual family? What does it take to form healthy spiritual family? For the sake of your own life, hmm? for the sake of your own family, for the sake of your own. Yeah, happiness. How do we create the right kind of Christ-centered and shaped family and place of belonging? I think that's part of why we're all here. So let's look at four practices outlined for us here in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to see today, we've got to practice. We must practice wonder, humility, embrace, and celebration. Wonder, humility, embrace, and celebration. Here we go. What does it mean to wonder. Look at verse six. It says, but there is a place where someone, again, this is, uh, this is your writer. If you're a memorization, a verse individual here, place where someone's testifying. <laughs> okay. All right. That's my best joke. You're not going to get a better one. So you should laugh <laughs> when the opportunity is given. All right. It says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? <clears throat> Son of man, that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crown them with glory and honor, and put everything under their feet. What's happening? Okay. The writer here is pulling from Psalm 8, even if he doesn't know it, and he's doing two things. First, he's saying, God thinks that humans are amazing. God made us in an amazing way. Like, look how you made us, God. You made us with, with glory and honor, just a little lower than the angels. And then the psalmist and the writer of Hebrews turn right around and say back to God, and we think you're amazing. I mean, look at what you did, God. Look at how you made us. Man, you're an amazing God. We think you're amazing. You think we're amazing. Somehow we are all amazing together. Now that is the experience of wonder, of wonder. And wonder is wonderful. Oh, yes. Wonder works 
kind of like magic, Holy Ghost, divine magic, if I can use that term. In real, don't, don't just get real mad. Okay, all right. In relationships, if one works like magic, this is what I mean. John Gottman, some of you may know the name. He's a well-respected marriage counselor and researcher, author. And one of the most interesting studies Gottman has done is to show that couples who don't know each other accurately are actually the ones who do better. And here's what he means. He did it. First service had the same reaction. He did a study where couples were asked to score themselves on a list of character traits and talents. Then the question was flipped, and each spouse was asked to rate their partner in the same categories. And almost without fail, each marriage that was found to be the happiest showed the greatest range in difference between what an individual scored themselves and what their spouse rated them for the same characteristic. For example, if the husband rated himself a 5, in intelligence on a scale of one to 10, but the wife rated him an eight, or if the wife rated herself like a four on the attractiveness scale, but the husband rated her a 10 because that is the only answer you can ever you should do. Yep. Those marriages were by far the happiest, but the couples in which the man said, I'm like a six in intelligence, but the wife's like, nah, he's more like a three or a four. It's like a, like a two. Those were the ones that were in the most trouble because they showed signs of contempt, a consistent predictor of divorce. But when one spouse, it shows us, when one spouse practiced 1 Corinthians 13 and believed not the worst, not even the accurate, <laughs> but believed the best, about their spouse, they reported the happiest marriages proven two things. Number one, that love is blind. And number two, it proves that flattery will actually get you everywhere in a marriage. Godman put it like this. Some would say, the solution to all marital difficulties is honesty. Always saying what is on your mind because that is the truth. Kind of like, I'm just keeping it real. You know, no. He says, in my practice, I have seen this become an excuse for disrespect and contempt. And these are the things that will cause ruptures rather than healing. True, people need to be able to express themselves freely to their partners, but this doesn't mean there is no room for tact. Flattery, if that means complimenting your partner frequently, showing your affection regularly in symbolic or romantic ways, and bragging about her or him to others will get you everywhere. I don't mean saying things that aren't ever true, but focusing on the positive and building up credit in that emotional bank account makes a huge difference in how well your relationship will weather rockier times. True in marriage, true in friendship, true in the church as well. So with that in mind, let me just give you real quick a working definition for wonder. Here it is. Wonder happens it happens when we appreciate each other for who we are without resenting each other or ourselves for who we're not. Hmm? When we appreciate each other for who we are without resenting one another for who we're not. So go ahead. This is all shows. In a way, lie to your spouse. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Lie to your friends. Tell them. They are the most beautiful. They're the most handsome people and person in the world. Tell them they are crazy smart super intelligent. Tell them they're a great friend. They're a great parent. You say, Morgan, that's not reality. That's not statistically possible. Again, 
A reminder, we're not talking about reality. We're talking about relationships and how we want them to be. The couples who dealt the most in reality had the worst marriages. So it's your choice. You can keep your reality. I'll keep my great marriage. Thank you very much. Yes, but in my case, all that stuff about my wife, the good stuff, is actually is statistically true. It's factually true. It's just it's proven. So, proven to be true. When I look at our elder team, I look at Galen Washington. Many of you know Galen, not here in this service. One of our elders, I stop and think about who he is. He grew up in a single-parent home, no father figure, beaten by police as a teenager, African-American male. He could have become a statistic, but he didn't. By the grace of God, he's got an amazing family. He's a great father, successful businessman, great leader. Galen is amazing. And incredibly, I've got him fooled. He thinks I'm pretty great too, or at least he tells me the same thing. I think he's great. He thinks I'm great. I think, I think of John Lloyd, or our elders, a doctor. He was born prematurely when his mom suffered a stroke. She died later in childbirth. Not only did he live, but he himself has become a neonatologist, a medical director. He cares for and saves babies' lives every day. And we get to have him as an elder in this church. I think that's amazing. And I feel the same way about every one of our staff here in Mosaic Church. They are wonderful, wonderful. We, church, should practice wonder, to practice wonder. But, but what if someone in your life doesn't practice that with you the way they should? What do we do about it? Number two, second practice. We should practice humility. Humility. Let's keep moving. Look at the very next verse. God says, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that's not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, speaking of people. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Okay. It's saying that Jesus, though as God Christians believe he created everything, though he created beings more powerful than humans, the Bible calls them angels, though he created all of that, he lowered himself lower than all of that by becoming human and allowed himself to be seen as less than who he really was and is. That's humility, allowing yourself to be seen as lower than you really are. But look at what Jesus has said, God, for doing this. He got more glory and more honor than before. The lowering led to a lifting. All right. As a pastor, it's, it really is my joy to be invited to people's everything. <laughs> Graduation for kids, you know, parties, birthdays, games, weddings, funerals, you name it. And I always appreciate being there, but to all of it. But recently I was invited to and got to attend something really special. I was invited to attend the birthday party of a Filipino member here at Mosaic. His name is Chris. And he said I could share this story with all of you. Chris had a, a big birthday bash up in Round Rock, Texas. Yes. And it was full of Filipinos that were either family of Chris's, blood family, or friends of Chris's. And it was, the place was, it was decorated, super fun. People were all there rocking an 80s theme. Oh, yes. We were enjoying an abundance of outstanding Filipino food. Yes. And then Chris got up to share a little bit. And he shared about why he picked the 80s theme. 
It had a purpose. He said the 80s were a special time for him because they really were the last time he got to spend time with his own father. His father, as it turned out, when Chris was four, had moved to Saudi Arabia to work overseas, and they were never really close again because of the literal distance. Flash forward 15 years later, when Chris was 19, he got word that his father had passed away tragically in an automobile accident at the age of 48. So Chris began to question if he would ever live longer than his own father did. And when he had a health scare a few years ago, it kind of got to him and the question weighed on him. But but Chris had had made it through, he'd survived. And this party was his night and he, he began to give thanks to God for allowing him to live that long. And he got emotional about it, as you can imagine. And then, and then something really special happened in that room. Chris began to speak about how much he loved Jesus how thankful he was for his Savior, about how much he loved Mosaic Church, about how grateful he was to be here and to serve here. And he's an usher in Mosaic. He, he leads a primarily Filipino-oriented community group. And together, they often serve our street ministry here. They bring meals all the time for the unhoused. And then he said how, even though he was grateful for everyone who brought him a gift that night, if they did, tonight he said he wanted to give a gift as a show of gratitude for all that God had done for him. And then he said how he told, hey, he told his community group he wanted to give a gift and uh, he wanted to give a gift to Mosaic Street Ministry for his own birthday. And he called me up. I had no idea this was going to happen. No one pre-prepared me. Can you say pre-twice? Pre-prepared. Anyway, called me up and handed me a check in front of everybody in the room. He kind of put me on a spot. No idea it was going to happen, but it did. His group had received an offering and together they took up a really large gift for Mosaic Street Ministry. And Chris got emotional about it. I got emotional about it. And everybody got emotional about it. And it was powerful. Pastor Brett was right there. He came up, kind of like gave him a pat on the back. And like, hey, man, this is like your own personal live big moment. <laughs> for those of you who have been to our live big one Sunday. And it kind of was. What had Chris done at his own party as the guest of honor in his own way? Chris made it not about him. He lowered himself, and I was stunned. Here he was, and this whole group of immigrants to our nation who talked about being grateful to live here, being grateful to be at Mosaic, and they were giving generously to help American unhoused adults. All of a sudden, that room, it got real small. It shrunk. We were all connected by one man's gift. His humility had created a kind of family of all of us, and that's what humility is. Humility is a momentary lowering so that God can do a long-term lifting. This all, hear me, is just a snapshot of what Jesus of Nazareth has done for you and done for me. His humility has created a family called the body of Christ. How can we then not do the same for one another? We practice wonder. We practice humility. Third, we also practice this. We practice this. We'll call it embrace. Embrace. Once again, look at what Jesus has done here. Verse 14, it says, Since the children, in family language, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. And there it is. It says, to create family, right? The children first, he lowered himself. And then, then he pulled us close. It says he shared 
in our humanity. And this isn't just talking about the, what's called the hypostatic union. It's a theological, technical term. Theologians use a phrase to describe what it means that Jesus was fully man, and fully God in one body from the moment he was conceived in Mary's womb. He wasn't 50-50, 90-10, not a human being who like got real smart and achieved divine consciousness. No, but fully God and fully man. But why did he do this? Well, in part, this tells us. It tells us he did this to share in our humanity. This word shared here, it's a great word in the Greek. It's metecho. It literally means to partake, as in to experience something with another. Uh, like this, we are all, in one way or another, partaking in this moment. Yeah, uh, many of us will partake in a blessed meal at the conclusion of our time together today. Yes, this is saying Jesus was a partaker, a sharer in all that it meant to be human. And as he did that, he created family. I've got a friend. He's a missionary in Madrid, Spain, but he's not from Spain. He's actually from Panama. He's Panamanian, and he felt called to move to Spain and to plant a church there. But when he got there, he found out that though both nations speak Spanish, both nations speak Spanish differently. And he found out that in order to really minister to people in Spain, he as a Panamanian was going to have to change his accent. And he found that some... Though not all, but some of the people there in Spain really looked down on the way he pronounced certain things. And one day he was in a restaurant and he ordered a selgas, which of course everybody knows is beets. It's what we all order when we go to a restaurant, right? We all want, I want some beets. But, uh, he ordered a selgas and the waiter said, what did you say? He said, I'd like some a selgas. The waiter said, what did you say? He said, a selgas. The waiter snapped at him and said this. He said, they're called Athelgas, you stupid foreigner. And until you can pronounce it right, don't ever come back here. Of course, my friend was not only mortified, but he was angry. I mean, after all, he had moved there to minister to them, right? He thought, I'm not going to change how I speak. And then one day in prayer, he said, the Holy Spirit came to him and asked him, will you change your accent for them to love them? My friend said to his own shame, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not changing for them and their pride and their arrogance. No. And he said, the Holy Spirit came back with this. He said, but will you change your accent for me, for me? And he said, yes. And he did. And he went on to plant three churches there in Madrid. What was, what was he being asked to do? Come on, embrace, right? A culture, embrace something different about another people. Share and partake in their humanity. In church, at this church, this is what we practice. We practice embrace. We practice being curious, asking questions about one another, different cultures, maybe, so to speak, adjusting our accent, if that's what it takes, to show another person they are loved. Why? Because Jesus has embraced us we practice wonder, we practice humility, we practice embrace, but most of all, maybe, we practice celebration. Look at verse, look at verse 10, it says, in bringing, I love this, many, would you say many? Many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. 
So this is answering in part the question, why did Jesus go through what he went through? Why did he go through the agony of the cross and the rejection of the Father? This was saying, this is saying, so he could bring many sons and daughters to glory. So he could create a great big family. That's been God's heart all along, to create a great big glory field. Family, sons, daughters, children, the ecclesia, what we call the church. So how can we show God's heart? Hmm? How can we show God's heart for family? My question, not just for us in here, but to the city, come on, and to the world, which needs to see this. Well, there's a brilliant dead guy. His name is Leslie Newbigin. You should know the name. He was a, a British missionary to India, and he came back to England after being gone for a few decades, only to discover that in his absence, England itself had become a kind of a mission field, like so many people had turned away from God that it was in need of conversion again, so to speak. And he asked the question, same question, how could the church there recapture the imagination of a nation and show them God's heart for family? And one thing he wrote, super famous line, was this. He wrote, the church lives in the midst of history as a sign, instrument, and foretaste of the reign of God. Now, I love this so much, I'd like to ask you to read this with me. Would you read this? Say this, the church lives in the midst of history as a sign, instrument, and foretaste of the reign of God. So he says the church should be three things. First, it should be like a, like a blinking stoplight, hmm? The reign of God, look at this, reign of God, it's breaking in here, breaking in there. The church is second to be an instrument, something used by God in the world. And third is to be like, like an appetizer, a foretaste. The world can taste right now what the reign of God will be like in the world to come. So how can we show the world, again, what God's reign tastes like? We can do that by loving one another right now in light of who we will be then, in the light of that future. In other words, if God is bringing you to glory, as it said, and he's bringing me to glory, I got a crazy thought. Why don't we celebrate each other now like we'll celebrate each other then? We ought to do this. I ought to celebrate you as glorious now because I know you're gonna be glorious then. In other words, and in essence, Newbegin's saying, hang with me here, the church ought to be and can be a sanctified bachelorette party. Bachelorette party. What do, yeah, Holy Ghost, bachelorette party, but that's sanctified. What do the brides, of uh, the friends, typically, commonly of a bride-to-be, tell that bride the night before she walks down the aisle? Say stuff like this. You are gonna be the most beautiful bride there ever was. I can't wait to see you in that dress. Girl, your hair and makeup, they're gonna be so on point. Your man is gonna straight pass out when he sees you walk down that aisle, right? What, what are they doing? They are, come on, celebrating her now in light of her future then. She hadn't gotten there yet, but she will. Hmm? She hadn't gotten dressed up yet, but she will. All her flaws haven't been hidden yet, but they will be. And so her heart experiences, here's the word, a foretaste of what the consummation with her groom will be like. 
And when her day comes, she'll stand before him or groom and he'll receive her. She'll receive him and they will celebrate together. That is our future church, something the Bible calls the wedding feast of the Lamb. The wedding feast. That's a celebration, is it not? Theologians actually use a wedding night word for it. They call it the consummation, the moment everything comes together in Jesus. And what the church then is to be, and I pray we can be, is what Newbegin saw, that we can be a sign. And as the hymn said, a foretaste of glory divine to the world as we celebrate each other now in light of what we will be then. And who will we be then? Again, book of Revelation, flash forward to the end, says that one day at the consummation, the kings of the earth will bring their wealth in before the king of kings, Jesus. This is showing us a picture of all different kinds of people, languages, ethnicities, backgrounds, tongues, all coming before the great king and offering him the wealth and the beauty of their cultures. Is this showing us a picture of people who have no skin color? No. Is it showing us genderless ghosts? No. Was Jesus, when he raised, any less a Jewish male? No. Meaning this, if we aren't to drop our God-given distinctives now, do we really think God is going to ask us to drop them now if he's not going to ask us to drop them then? No. And if that's our future then, why can't we celebrate those things about each other in the present now? We can. Listen, we're not dressed up yet. But we will be. Hmm? We're not. All our flaws haven't been hidden yet. Oh, but they will be. We don't have our makeup on yet. Oh, but we will. Spiritual family is not the wedding, but it can be and should be like the party the night before where we tell one another, look at one another and say, your groom, he's waiting for you. Your groom, he's paid the price to love you and to hold you. He's looking forward to having you and holding you for forever. He's given his life for you. Listen, we're not there yet. You're not there yet, but you will be. Spiritually healthy communities practice wonder, humility, embrace, and celebration. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his family. Why should we do any less for one another. Let me take a moment and pray. Lord, we come in your name and we thank you for this. We are, as we sing here, the beautiful body of Christ. For us, broken and beaten, you gave up your life. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to practice one another now because we can. Help us to practice humility now because we should. Help us to practice embrace now where we can. And help us to celebrate one another now in light of who you are. We thank you for this all. Help us to be this kind of spiritual community and family together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.